W-C-Y-T? W-C-Y-T. An original student production of the Point 91 FM. In 1982, Wood Nickel Records came to Fort Wayne, named after a Styx record that owner Bob Rowitz bought in 1975, which was published under a small label named Wood Nickel. The business began as a simple hope to turn a hobby into a living. However, Bob was qualified for this endeavor. He already had college degrees in both business management and marketing, as well as a record collection that spanned to over 2,600 pieces of vinyl by the time he was 21. After moving to Fort Wayne from Madison, Wisconsin, one nickel success can be attributed to the time. The hot new format of music, CDs, was all the rage in the 80s, and one nickel became Fort Wayne's main provider of discs. This skyrocketed the Rowitz family from owning one store to six, and at one time up to nine stores. Sweeping out its competitors with new formats and lower prices, one nickel has become the leader of Fort Wayne's record empire. Currently, both Bob and his wife own and run their now three stores. However, it was a long road to get to that point. Here, I sit and talk with Bob about the rise of his business, as well as the anticipated success of this upcoming record store day. Selwyn, I'm here with the Point 91 FM, and I'm here with Bob from Wooden Nickel. How are you doing today? Excellent, excellent. You are? So to begin, my first question is, Wooden Nickel was started in the 80s, right? Yeah, 1982. I ran Slatewood Records here in the same store. Uh, from 80 to 82. So I've been here 43 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously music culture has changed a lot since then with absolutely Bible of bias. So can you just tell me a little bit about how that's affected your business over the years? Yeah. Um, back in 78, when I first started selling uh, product, eight tracks were the most popular format. And then it switched to cassettes around 79, 80. And then vinyl was hot again for a while. And then in the later 80s, CDs took off. And that's when we went from one store to six because we wanted to be the neighborhood store in here, Fort Wayne. And CDs were selling so well that we just went crazy with CDs. Mm -hmm. So on your website, you talk a little bit about how Record Store Day specifically helped you guys a lot out in 2008 when that happened. Yes. And you guys were actually one of the first stores to participate in the first ever Record Store Day. So can you tell me a little bit about how you became an official Record Store Day store and what that was like participating the first year? Well, what happened with how Record Store Day was started, there was three key uh, gentlemen that were involved in the record industry that got it started. And one of them was Eric Levin, who ran Criminal Records in Atlanta, Georgia. He called me in 2006, and that was when they were just starting an idea to get Record Store Day going. And then I gave him some feedback and stuff and didn't hear back from him for a while, so I thought, oh, this probably won't happen. Well, then I heard I heard about six months before Record Store Day first started happening that, yes, we're going to put something together. And there was 140 of us that started the first year. And so I was involved from the very, very beginning. And my whole deal was, I thought, oh, it'd be great to have live music. So with all of our stores, we had live music at all of our stores that day. And that was kind of the start of it for us. But who really helped us out actually was Metallica because they agreed to be at Amoeba Records out in LA and they did an autograph signing and all that kind of stuff. And they released a vinyl piece. Um, Thanks, Bob. Really appreciate it. We'll see ya. And they started uh, Record Store Day that morning at Amoeba in L.A., and that's how it kicked off. And they were our first Record Store Day ambassador, and each year now we have a new one. Uh, Like last year we had Taylor Swift. This year we've got Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires. And so, um, but the first year we only had 37 pieces. So there was very little product to really sell. But what we were looking to do was we were predominantly just a CD store. And CDs had been falling since Napster in 1998 started happening. 
and we, our stores had been going downhill sales-wise for a while. So we were looking for something to spark it. And Record Store Day is what we decided to do to try to spark it. And guess what? It worked. Because <laughs> everybody's buying vinyl again. So it did work. That's wonderful. So going off of that, I know you yeah. mentioned that last year Taylor Swift was the Record Store yep. Ambassador. Yep. And that was sort of a big moment for me personally because I had gone to Record Store Day my whole life. And that was the first time I had ever seen anyone that I knew from school there. Oh, really? I remember... Yeah that afterwards I read this newspaper article from a local newspaper and they talked about how it was because there was a resurgence of vinyl specifically in my generation yes and they just failed to mention Taylor Swift so I was wondering <laughs> that if you think that like personally from a record store day perspective it is the fact that kids my age are starting to care about vinyls more or was uh, it because it was Taylor Swift? no it was no it, this trend actually has been happening for a while with with more young people coming in i i think a lot of it had to do actually when COVID hit because we didn't know that going in when COVID happened of course we were thinking the worst like are we even going to be reopened <laughs> you know but when we reopened um a lot of people were stuck at home for a long time with not much to do so turntable sales all of a sudden started to, to skyrocket and we were like because like i would check on amazon and like i'd look at the electronics items best sellers and there was like three turntables in the top 10 and i was like what's going on here? And what it really was, we found out later, was a lot of teens and 20-somethings were buying turntables during the pandemic. And that really helped us. I mean, we just, we kicked butt. I mean, as soon as the pandemic was over, we had a lot of new clientele that came in. And um, so that was very unexpected, but a really positive thing for us that young people started getting into vinyl again. And, and it's just growing work. Most of the turntables that I sell in my stores on a daily basis are to folks under 25. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, Taylor, Taylor certainly, I, I mean, you have to give her credit. I mean, she is, she is our number one selling artist. She is. Yes. She's our number one selling artist. And of course, as you may or may not know, um, our, I'm hoping to set a new record, no pun intended, <laughs> um, for the best selling item ever at Record Store Day, which will be her new album coming out for Record Store Day this year. Um, we're hoping to sell well over 100 copies of that, which would be fantastic if we could do that. Um, but we're getting calls every day. So I expect I expect that's gonna be a great seller next Saturday, yeah. Um, going off of the revival of vinyl, I know that in 2013, there was something that came out called um, the Cassette Store Day. Yes. And so have you ever participated in that or do you really believe in like the cassette comeback as they're calling it? No, the the cassette revival really hasn't taken hold. Um, the problem really is, you know, back when I was, when I first started uh, selling formats back in the 70s, we, we had to order cassettes, A-tracks, and LPs on everything that came out. Mm -hmm. The problem we have now with cassettes is, like one out of every 20 releases comes out on cassette. Mm -hmm. So that means that the other 19 are not represented on cassette. Until we get to the point again where every new release that I order is available on cassette, it's probably going to lag a little bit behind. And um, we do order some, there are certain like, especially metal, um, punk, um, there, there's certain genres that still sell a little bit in in cassettes, but most stuff doesn't. I, I mean, I can't give away a country cassette or, a, or you know, an R&B cassette. A lot of just, there just isn't enough clientele to buy them. Now, we still carry cassettes in our stores and like our Anthony store has over 2000 cassettes over there, but they're all used ones that we buy from customers. So most of them are the older artists and that type of thing, but they're just, I have not seen still enough um, 
enough people buying new cassettes to make it a big deal for us. Now, you mentioned that you buy those cassettes from other people, like private collectors. Yeah, yeah. Anybody can bring in whatever they want. They can bring in boxes of cassettes. We'll look at them. We buy them. We put them out and Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Yeah. So can you explain the difference between buying from customers rather than buying from like larger distributors? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A customer will bring it. Typically, what will happen is a customer will bring in a box and we go through them and they're all open. They're used. They've been used. And uh, we'll go through and we'll look at the titles. And obviously, if there's like a, a Led Zeppelin piece in there or, you know, Queen or Beatles, whatever it might be, we'll buy all those, mm-hmm. you know. But if we get, you know, 20 Barbra Streisand cassettes, we're going to say, sorry, those are still yours, you know, because <laughs> those don't sell for us. Um, new one, uh, when we buy from a distributor, they're all brand new, sealed, wrapped, mm-hmm. that no one's ever played them. But typically, the problem is they're 50 to $20 at retail. Yeah. And the used ones that we sell are primarily a dollar to $5. So a lot of people that buy cassettes, they're like, yeah, for a buck or two, I'll take a chance on something. But I'm not putting $20 out for a cassette because yeah. they could get a couple of CDs for that price. So that's, I think, one of the reasons cassettes haven't come back is because the new cassettes are just too expensive. Is that idea different in terms of vinyl when you buy used vinyl versus distributed vinyl? Yeah, we do the same. The The principle really is the same there. Um, when we buy from a customer, they'll bring in a box of vinyl and we'll go through, pull out everything that we're interested in. We check the condition that make sure it's not scratched, um, that the cover is OK and all that. And then we make an offer to them. We purchase them. We put an inner sleeve, a, br- a brand new inner sleeve in it. We put a plastic cover on the outside. We completely clean the disc and the cover. And then that goes out for sale. And typically those run. Most of them are like $3.99 to $9.99 is what we retail them for. A new vinyl comes directly from the label, you know, that produces them. And then um, they're fully sealed. And typically they're what they call 180 gram now, which is a real thick vinyl. And they usually have been remastered. So they're really much cleaner than the older ones are. The older ones are, a lot of cases going to have, you're going to hear little skips and pops and, and things on a lot of that, just noise on the on the vinyl. The new ones typically are very clean. So, but the problem is you're paying 20 to $40 for those. So the price is a lot higher. Going off of that, yeah. I know that remasters and reissues are a very large part of the yeah. record industry yeah. now. So do you find that people come in and buy those more often than they're buying like new releases? Yeah, yeah. Actually, surprisingly, you're, you're pretty close to right. I mean, when we get um, a, new, a Steely Dan that's been remastered or a Pink Floyd piece or whoever, you know, wherever it might be, a lot of times that's our best-selling item that week. You know, still right now, as we stand, the, the best-selling albums I have in the store right now are Fleetwood Mac Rumors, Dark Side of the Moon by Big Floyd. I mean, these are all really old records, obviously, um, but they still, there's, they're like, I guess I would what I would say is they're staples in everyone's collection. I mean, just about everybody I know has bought Fleetwood Mac Rumors or Michael Jackson Thriller, you know, those ki- kind of records. Those are just standards. So those, those records are the ones that keep us in business. Um, when a new release comes out, like well, let's say we get a Kanye West that comes out or uh, Drake or whatever, it sells good for the first couple of weeks. Like right now we're doing good with like Lana Del Rey is really popular at the moment, but that'll slow way down and then it'll sell like one a month in a few months, you know, but the, but the dark side of the moon sell almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. You are right. It's uh, uh, the, the, what I, what I call the hot, I call it a hit catalog, but it's the older classics that keep us in business, absolutely. In terms of your personal collection, do you find yourself buying more classics or more new releases of his? I don't, you know, quite honestly, I don't buy that much for myself anymore, um, simply because I'm here seven days a week. I can play whatever I want for several hours a day. 
when I go home, I don't really play that much music, quite honestly, because I'm so exposed to it here, which is kind of a unique situation. You know, most people don't get to go to work and listen to whenever they want for eight hours a day. So um, uh, I don't. I, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I'm a I'm a child of the '70s. Yeah. So my my what as far as what I collect mostly from the '60s, '70s, and '80s would be what I do. But I learned 40 some years ago that when you're running a record store, the last thing you ever want to do is put your personal taste into the store. Mm-hmm. And I learned that very early on. So when you come into a wooden nickel, you'd have no idea what Bob, the owner likes because I will never let that show because I have to sell what people want, not what I like. You know, and there's a, a lot of record store owners make a huge mistake when they, they're like, oh, I only like metal or yeah. I only like punk or I only like whatever, whatever it might be. And they model their store after that. Well, they get a lot of those fans coming and see them, which is great. But the majority of the public won't come in and buy from them. And that's a huge, huge mistake in our business. So Wood Nichols always been like, we carry everything. Yeah. You know, and that way, if you're coming, you want a Dolly Parton CD or, you know, whatever you might want, we've got it, you know. And a lot of stores, they only want to stock metal or they only want to stock punk or, you know, you know, indie rock or whatever it might be, if, if that's what the owner likes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, so, so that I always have to hide anything that I like, you know, preferences has to be hidden. Yeah. Yeah. I know that this is also sort of a little bit of a family business. I know yeah. your wife works here and yeah. your son's worked here for years. Yes. So what was that like as the business grew, having it become a family thing? Well, it kind of became out of necessity because as we grew, um, it was okay when I first started and I pretty much did everything myself. Of course, my sons weren't even born when I started the start, but, um, but my wife has always been like, just always on call. She's had her own, she's worked at Lincoln Life and she just retired from Swiss Re. So, so she had her regular job, but she's always been extremely, extremely supportive and anything that I need, like right now, she's at her house doing goodie bags for Saturday and baking cookies for Saturday for next, for record store day. So. Even though she's not in store working, she actually is doing things for the stores. So, so she's been extremely supportive, and I probably wouldn't be doing this now if it wasn't for her because she's really helped me keep things in line. Um, and then my son Chris, um, he, <laughs> he was born in '87. By the time he was four years old, he was counting cassettes and CDs <laughs> for me. That's how he learned how to count. Um, but he's been he's been all about the business um for 30 some years <laughs> so he's he loves it he loves it so um so yeah and my my other son is a teacher down in indianapolis actually in the franklin central school district the middle school there so he he worked in the store while he was going to college because when he graduated from ball state he decided to move down to indy because he got a job right away down there teaching so um but he had been working in the stores for his life before that too because i said with my kids you know hey if you're if you're have a summer off you're working either for me or someone else you know make some money you know save up for school so um but they always wanted to work in the stores they loved it so so it worked out good that's so fun and so would you say that generally you've enjoyed your time oh, running this thing? absolutely i mean it's just i i you know i i do work seven days a week but i get up every morning and and the coolest thing is just to come in and, and talk to folks like yourself you know i that's why i'm here and talking music with people that you know obviously i'm a huge music fan and talking to the public is what I like to do. And so, I mean, yeah, I'm tired of, you know, I've priced records all like right now. I've got two boxes of used records I'm pricing, putting out that that's not the funnest thing in the world, but I, you know, it's part of the deal. And, you know, uh, but I also have worked it out now in the latter years to where I do a lot of the background stuff at home instead of here, like, you know, payroll and, and all the tax work and 
books and ordering. A lot of that's done at home now. Uh, back before computers were around, because I go back to the Stone Age here, and uh, we, you know, we had to do everything by on paper. And so it was it was much more labor intensive to order your product than it is now. Now it's really simple because we at the end of the day we have a sheet with all the stuff that we sold, and we just decide items we're going to resell, put them in the computer, and we're done. You know, so it's it's much easier now to reorder product than it used to be. But um, uh, but now, it, yeah, it's it, I do a lot of it from home. So you know, because I like one of the big things that's changed in the last decade um, is the entire situation with internet media, um, Facebook, um, Twitter. Obviously, Instagram is our biggest one, right? At, at the moment, Instagram's our biggest one. But I do four or five posts a day, and I do those all myself. So yes, absolutely, I do it all myself. So then that's a that's a job I wasn't doing ten or fifteen years ago. So but I'll tell you, I really enjoy it because I can get creative, mm-hmm. and um, so it that's part of the fun too. It's it's because see, I was a marketing in college. I was a marketing major anyway, so mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, the whole idea behind Wood Nickel um, came from '74. I bought a song called "Lady" by a group called Sticks that was out in Chicago. And they had a little record label. They were a little record label called Wood Nickel Records in Chicago. Well, they got signed in 75 by AM Records. And of course, they blew up and became a platinum selling yeah. band. But this little label in Chicago went out of business. And I, I looked at that and I said, this would be kind of an interesting idea for a record store because I also was looking at these Wood Nickels. So I said, okay, let's do that together. We'll do the Wood Nickels and uh, we'll name the store Wood Nickel. And it just blew up. At this point in the interview, Bob and I had to take a break as a customer came to purchase a vinyl. Bob was still running the store while our interview was in session. Do you generally prefer debut albums or stuff artists do later? Wow. Uh, you know, it, it depends on the artist because through the years, I mean, when like Boston came out with their first record or Pearl Jam came out with 10 or through the years, like Slipknot, I just sold the first Slipknot. There are certain bands that like their first album just ranked and was fantastic. Yeah. I remember, I remember like yesterday, the first time I heard that first Van Halen record, yeah. I couldn't stop listening to it. And but a lot of the bands never did as good with their their stuff after as their first record. Yeah, you know, like Boston, they, they never were able to capture the magic that they had on their first record. Um, other other groups, um, their first two, three, or four albums, I thought kind of were very good. And all of a sudden, they had one album that was just brilliant. And then I followed them from after. So I've kind of gone both ways on that. Um, some bands, I've thought that their debut record's their best. And other times, it's taken them a few records before they they got, I like them. Yeah. Um, so next, what would your Desert Island Discs be? As- oh, well. Once again, Bob had to conduct a transaction. A lady bought an ACDC album, which Bob will reference in the next section of the interview. Okay. Well, I my favorite band is The Beatles. So I have to go with the Beatles record to start. That's the tough one. I'm going to go with Abbey Road. At That's the Beatles. a choice. Yes. Um, my favorite musician is Paul McCartney. And um, my favorite album by him is Band on the Run. But lately, my favorite album by him is an album called Ram. So I'd have to do Ram. Mm-hmm. Um, next, I have to do Dark Side of the Moon. Only because um, I've wore out more copies of that than anything. And I couldn't imagine myself not having that record. Um, so I'd have to go with that. Um, I'm going to go with Who, Who's Next, because a song that really got me going into the record business was a song called Woke It Fooled Again, which was from Who's Who's Next. And the fifth one, I'm going to go ahead and put Fleetwood Mac Rumors in there, 
because um, I saw Fleetwood Mac a couple times on that tour, and my wife and I met about that time. So it was sentimental, you yeah. might say. So there's five for you. I think those are all fantastic choices. So my next question is, what was the first concert you ever attended, and what was the last concert you just attended? Okay, the first concert I attended was The Who, and uh, I was so enthralled with that. I was like, I need to be doing this every week. Um, that's back back in the 70s, back when they still had Keith Moon before he passed away as his, the drummer. It was just an absolutely amazing concert. Still one of my favorites. Um, and what was your other question about that? Um, what was the last concert you just attended? Um, the last concert. John Waite um, over at the Clyde. That was about a month ago. Um, he was in The Babies, uh, Bad English, and... He had like num several number one hits. Missing You, Change was a top 10 single, a solo career. But uh, When I See You Smile, he was number one with um, uh, Bad English, and then Babies had a bunch of hits. Yeah. But um, that's the last show I went to. Um, my favorite, because a lot of people ask me what the best show I've ever seen in Fort Wayne was. Mm -hmm. It's not even close. <laughs> um, it was 2018. It was Paul McCartney at the Coliseum. Oh, I had wow. been waiting for 40 years for Paul McCartney mm -hmm. to come to Fort Wayne. And I almost lost it when Randy Brown told me, hey, we're bringing Paul in. I, I, so I flipped out. I was like, we got Paul McCartney to come to Fort Wayne, Indiana? I knew you were ecstatic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, interesting story about that. Um, when they put tickets on sale, they had 66, 67,000 requests for tickets. There was only 13,000 seats to sell. So we figured that out of every six people that wanted a ticket, one person got one out of every six that wanted to ticket that day. It's almost like Taylor Swift comes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that just happened. Yeah, yeah, poor, poor Taylor Swift fans, you know, they, that was tough. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was the most amazing concert I've ever seen in Fort Wayne. But see, I'm, I am from Madison, Wisconsin, so I saw a lot of shows because I went, I went to um, school up in Madison. Yeah. So um, I didn't come down here. I was working for Slatewood Records on State Street in Madison, I came down to run Slatewood, which was in this building in 1980. That's what brought me down to Fort Wayne. But mm -hmm. I was from Wisconsin before that, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, and for our last and final question, I think this one's kind of tough. What are your thoughts on greatest hits albums? Very controversial. Well, it depends. Um, I will tell you that dealing with customers for, this is my 45th year, that I've actually been in front of a counter serving folks um, that if we didn't have greatest hits albums, um, it would have been far tougher to stay in business because especially older folks, um, they are not going to spend the time or money to collect 12 or 14 studio records by yeah. band. However, they remember the songs on the radio. And if you have a Greatest Hits album that has five or six or seven tracks that you remember from 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago on the radio, you're going to buy that. You're going to be perfectly happy with that. So, and just from my standpoint, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether I like them or not. What really matters is what I see. And that's, that's happy people buying their memories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's bands like, I'll give you an example of a band that I sell every day, ACDC. And in fact, a gentleman just bought one while we're yeah. standing here. Um, they don't have a Greatest Hits album. Mm -hmm. So you can't buy a Greatest Hits album by ACDC. But the, the good thing for the band is that probably means their catalog sales, their older catalog, sells better because not everybody buys the Greatest Hits package. 
But mm-hmm. um, from an artist standpoint, I'm sure when people get towards the end of their career, it's a great cash grab because if you've put out, let's just say you've put out 12 studio records and you're not really getting hits anymore or you're not really that popular anymore, the best way to make some quick money is to put out a greatest hits album and all of a sudden, you know, you sell hundreds of thousands of them, you know. So, um, but, but you know, it really depends on the, the artist too. I mean, nowadays, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, the, the Taylor Swifts and the Kanye's, a lot of, they don't have greatest hits albums yet, but they may in the future. I wouldn't doubt it, you know, that they will. But I can tell you just from experience of, of several decades is that some people, that's all they buy is greatest hits. Um, but it depends. People get into particular artists. I mean, I've got guys that I have customers that buy every single Neil Young record that's ever come out. And it's now like close to 100. I got yeah. I got guys that collect every Frank Zaffer record comes out. He's got 125 records out there. You know, I mean, there's there are there are customers that are they'll buy anything that has that artist's name on it. Even like, I'm sure Taylor Swift right now, any album she puts out, all the Swift fans are going to want to buy, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what's on it. <laughs> yeah. So it depends on how much of a fan you are. But I can, I will just say that from what I've seen, greatest hits albums are very important for us retailers. <laughs> yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I hope that kind of answers your question a little bit. It definitely does. That was very insightful. Yeah. So to finish, are there any last words you would like to say on your business or on the upcoming record store day on April 22nd? Um, well, it's, it's, you know, this is our 16th record store day. Every year it's been bigger and better. Uh, more pieces come out. Um, you know, it, it's, we, we do record store day. It's our, we call it our community day where we involve, you know, we have old crown helping us out. We have the garden helping us out. We have dogfish had beer helping us on it. We have neighbors that, that help us put this together. And it's the one day that we really try to give back the community a little bit with something fun, with free food, free drink, mm-hmm. you know, and all that kind of thing, free music. And, and, um, uh, it's kind of like just a big party, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. but, um, I only want to do it once a year because if for a while there we were doing these record store day drops and we do like three a year yeah. and they just weren't as good because they just, they were splitting up the stuff and putting it on Saturdays. But they said, well, don't, don't make that big of a deal about it. Don't, you know, necessarily do a lot of live music and all that. We just want to sell the product. And I'm just like, ah, that's not what we're record store day is supposed to be about. Now we're back with COVID being gone. We can come back and do it the right way, which is what we're doing now. So we're, we're back to doing it right. And so I, I expect that day to be, uh, uh, a lot of fun for everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. If you're, as a listener, wondering, Records Today is on Saturday, April 22nd. You can participate yourself at any Wood Nickel location, but you better get there early because there are limited supplies and it starts at 8 a.m. Again, thank you so much for doing this interview, Bob. Thank you.